0: Our, uh, church finance, and I'll just give you very broad, very brief, the first six months of this year, just so you will know, and, and also I say this in thanks. Um, generally speaking, the first six months of this year, you as a church have given 25% more than you gave the first six months of 2010, and so just I thank you for your giving, um, and that doesn't include 38,000 that's been given totally to missions, and that also doesn't include the giving to the Rambo family, which we as a church are supporting this family in Uganda, over 50% of all their giving. So I just want to give a shout out. I mean, that, that praise God. Give yourself a hand. <clears throat> now, that being said, our church has also grown. Uh, we've grown in missions. We've grown in staff. And so, as your giving has grown, our budget and our giving continues to grow. So, I thank you for what you're giving, and I just encourage you to continue giving. Um, you know, we have detailed records. If any, anybody wants to know that, you know, come to me, and we have some of our budget uh, out front. But uh, I wanted to give you a six-month update, and I also wanted to thank you for everything that you give to the life of this church and to the kingdom of God. Amen. All right. We talked about... Celebrating God and worship, and we talked about being still. So this is a celebration song. So if you're so moved, you can clap, you can stand up, you can do whatever you want to. Amen. Thank you all. And, uh, and our worship team, we are so blessed by them. And I do want to put in uh, this plug. Uh, obviously, Chris is not up here, but uh, he is, uh, he's out at the Ignite camp that many of you all have uh, heard about. He's been uh, out there all weekend. I know several of us from our church have uh, been out there, either as counselors or speaking. And, uh, you know, it's for these kids, and y'all continue to pray for them, because uh, today's the final day, and I know that several of them will, uh, are being led to Christ, probably as we speak. And uh, just be praying for Chris, and Ignite, and that whole ministry, and um, so just keep them in your prayers today. Let's, uh, before we get into the message, let's go to God in a word of prayer together. Heavenly Father, I... I thank you that we can all be here together. Your church, the family of Jesus, dear Lord, I I know that as people come in our doors, and people come in today, uh, we carry stuff, um, we deal with stuff, we have things on our mind, and it's not just where we're going to eat Sunday lunch. There are things that are going on, uh, struggles, challenges, emotionally, physically. Uh, During my prayer. As it is each and every Sunday, that we can just, just shut that out and we could shut anything that is not of you that's trying to infiltrate our minds or our spirits to block out what you're wanting to, us to hear and that we would, uh, we would hear your word, we would hear the voice of your Holy Spirit, and that we would respond. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to open today and uh, ask you all a question. You don't have to answer it out loud or anything, but what do you think of, when I say alternative community? Just a minute. What do you think of when you say alternative community? Uh, for me, well, let me say this. Have any of y'all ever been to Copenhagen, Denmark? Remember been to Copenhagen, Denmark? Beautiful city. Um, but there is a uh, realm in that city, and it's called Christiania. I think that's how they pronounce it. Well, you know, there's nothing Christian about Christiania, because it's, um, it's pretty much a commune, that they have their own set of laws. Um, apparently, a lot of legal drug use goes on there. Uh, obviously, you know, I mean, I don't have to tell you this: you know, Northern Europe, socialist, and so got some pretty lax laws. But uh, when I visited there, I never went to Christiania. But I, I was very intrigued that this is a, a just a uh, self-assertive commune of people who've decided to live and form their own laws, and somehow it's regulated by the state. I didn't really know that, but it is an alternative community. Now, something. I know some of you know is uh, we got some brothers in here and maybe some sisters too that have followed the dead as in the grateful dead right and um, or we got some other brothers that have followed panic y'all know what I'm talking about there and uh, now this is nothing like disparaging or negative because I got some great friends and got some folks I love here that have uh, been part of that community but you know when I hear stories about uh, following you know bands like that I mean it sounds like an alternative community they got you know you know they make their own food, sell their own food. You know there's a certain language that, uh, in, in terms of the songs of the people, and um, I mean y'all know what I'm talking about. I see your brother up there, you're smiling, amen. It's like a, it's like an alternative community. Now, actually, these communities happen with Christians too. Something else, some of you might know. Uh, back in the '60s, a uh, a guy and his wife, Francis and Edith Schaefer. Strong Christians, evangelicals, wanted people to know Christ. They lived in Europe, lived in Switzerland, and they saw so many people seeking. I mean, like, seeking. They didn't know Christ. You know, they were wondering about their life. So they set up in their home in the Swiss Alps a chalet, and they call it Labri. Le Labri Le is French for shelter. And they started opening their home for anyone and everyone. And so they started getting a lot of backpackers, a lot of hippies, Coming through there and staying for weeks and months at a time, they opened their library, which he was—he was a, was a theologian—and began to talk openly and honestly about questions of life. They believed in the Bible as God's word and that it applied to all of life, and began to lead people to Christ through this shelter. They didn't call it a church, but it was a gathering. And now, at this point, I mean, like today, there—I think there are eight to ten. La Breeze all over the world. There are two in the U.S. There's one in Boston, one in Minnesota, there's one in London, I think there's one in Stockholm, one in Australia. This community has grown where anyone can come in off the street and learn about Christ and find a shelter there. So it is, in a sense, a Christian alternative community. Now, when I ask you that to begin with, what do you think of when you think of alternative community? I would bet none of you ever thought the church. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I probably you didn't think, well, the church that I worship here or just church in general as an alternative community. I, I mean, I'll just have to guess. Correct me if I'm wrong after the sermon. But you see, the church actually is supposed to be an alternative community. I mean, when it was started, when it began, it was to be a group of people, a community in this world that is not of this world. Let me say this. When the church is living out who it's to be, I mean, it is truly an alternative community. It's a group of folks. It's a community in this world that is not of this world. Today, I'm closing a series that, uh, that I've called Alternate Reality, as in life by the Holy Spirit. Last week, we talked about how that life affects our relationships, personally, family, marriage, Today I'm talking about how it affects us as a church, as a group, as a body. And I really just want to show two simple things. I want to show you what an alternative community looks like in Scripture. And then I want to show you how to be one. And as I say that, we're going to go like really deep in Scripture with a couple verses, but not like deep over your head. It's really simple. But we're going to get into this. So what is an alternative community? If you have your Bible, look at Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And I'm going to start with verse 16. And I'm going to take you through verse 16 through verse 26. But I'm going to hit a couple of verses at a, at a time. What does an alternative community look like? Well, first and foremost, as you're finding Galatians, it begins with the Holy Spirit. There's nothing we can, like, do to make ourselves what the church is supposed to be. We can't work hard enough. We can say, hey, as long as we set up really well... Or as long as we like do powerful worship, or as long as the preaching's really good, as long as the family and we can work hard, but that doesn't make us what the church is supposed to be. It's only the Holy Spirit. And here's the other thing the Holy Spirit, now He is here with us, but it starts in the life of each individual person. Starts in each of your lives. Starts in my life. So to become a church as the church was meant to be, to become an alternate community. It starts with you. You as God's people. So look here. Verse 16. Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit... You are not under the law. Stop there for a minute. Here's what you really have to get. And I know, guys, you probably think this is hokey pokey. You probably think this is kooky. But spiritual warfare happens in an individual's life. Okay? In each of your lives, and I'm not trying to scare you because really there's nothing to be afraid about. But in each of your lives, there is a war going on. It says it right Clearly in Scripture. One side is the flesh, and when I say the flesh, I mean it's easy to think sex, and obviously that's one of the big ones, but not just sex, anything fleshly, pride, anger. And there's the spirit. And in each of us, there is a battle going on, life of the flesh. Versus life of the spirit. And I know you've probably seen cartoons. I remember these growing up. I think it's Bugs Bunny. But you know, you had a little angel, a little devil on each side of your your shoulder. And it's really like that. Some of y'all know. I mean, it's really like that. Angel's saying one thing. Devil's saying one thing. And you can give this way or go that way. But there is a conflict. There is a war going on. And Paul says it clearly. They are in opposition to one another. The flesh sets its desire against the spirit. And the spirit against the flesh. So that you may not do the things you do. Here's the thing. You want to do what's right. But there's something else that's pulling you the other way. And you don't do the things that you know you should. Or you don't do the, do the things that are right. Because there's this thing. And it's just like it's pulling you. It's this, it's this sin. It's this, it's this life of the flesh. And we got to battle that. I mean one of the biggest needs of the church is we need to be together. We can't fight that fight on our own. We can't live a life of the Spirit on our own. So the first thing, I mean, in just becoming who the church is, is you have to realize that there's something going on in each of us. There's a conflict. There's a war. Life of the flesh versus life of the Spirit. Angel, devil, and again, I know you think it's hokey-pokey, but I've I've heard some of the most brilliant minds, and it's not like heady or stuff from like Oxford, Oxford, England. And I I mean, hey, I I love Ole Miss, but Oxford, England is a better school. And, you know, anyway. That may, I don't know if the, the rebel lightning strikes me down there or anything, but people from like there and Cambridge, they have talked about this as real deal stuff, spiritual warfare, okay? What you've got to understand is that this battle is going on. Now, Paul then goes on and he clarifies more. What are the deeds of the flesh? Look at this, verse 19. It says, deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, he's going off, things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What does that look like in the church? I mean, like, you know, here and now, today. What does that look like? immorality impurity paul starts there he goes on that is sensuality sins of the flesh sexually idolatry actually in this time in some places in some churches they made it legal to worship idols i mean is that not crazy people like worshiping statues idols it's not that crazy we worship idols today media academia money power pretty big idols it says sorcery. Actually, that's literally translated pretty much staying high on drugs. I mean, just to be really real. So it's stoned all the time. Enmity, strife, just to make it like clear, you know. Enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions. Dissensions in the church. Factions. Paul's talking about people that like want power in the church. So it's a little like today. Life of the flesh, there's envy, there's anger. There are people who have power in the world and they come in the church and say, Hey, nobody ain't telling me what to do. I'm going to have power here just like I have power out there. Factions, dissensions. And so, what you have in a lot of churches, and being real, is I know no alternative community for Christ. What it is, a lot of folks living by the flesh that don't know a battle's going on and surely don't know how to get out of it and just content living in sin and then coming together and just sin happens. I mean, being real. And that can happen in any and every church. But then Paul goes on. There's a different way. There's a different life. a life of the Spirit. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another. Before I get into that, that last verse that I read, verse 21, it says, people who practice the Things of the flesh, it says, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'll say it again. You will not inherit the kingdom of God if you live in the flesh. But Paul said there's a different way a life of the Spirit. And this, these great things, I mean, it's a, it's a better life love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. And he says, against there's, these things, there is no law. There's no law against this. He says, those who belong to Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions. How do you begin a life by the Spirit? You have to understand that not only is there a war going on inside you, because that war, you basically become split. I mean, it's like there's two people. I know this, like, honestly. Personally, the more I grow, grow in Christ, the more I've seen the rest of my life, I mean, they were like, you know, two dudes. They were like two John Hughes. And there was one who lived by the life of the flesh and then one that slowly God was leading fully to a life of the Spirit. And let me just say this, I'm not there totally yet. There's still that same battle going on in me. If it makes you feel any better. But what we have to do is take this advice. He said, those who belong to Christ Jesus, crucify the flesh. Crucify the flesh. And you see that and you say, man, I'm going to kill that. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill her. I'm going to crucify her. Anybody ever seen Superman 3? You know, the early Supermans, Christopher Reeve. Superman 3 was the worst of the three Supermans. I I love those Supermans, but uh, Superman 3 was kind of the one they tried to get funny. They brought in Richard Pryor. God bless him. It just really didn't work. But there's a great scene in Superman 3 that illustrates what I'm wanting to say, okay? And if you've seen it, Superman drinks some potion or he does something where he, like, becomes bad Superman. And uh, so he uses his powers in really bad ways. But then there's this scene, a climactic scene, and it's in a junkyard. And it's like the good Superman pops out of the bad Superman. And they're, you know, facing each other off. And all of a sudden they start fighting. And the good Superman kills the bad Superman. And then he lives on and uses his powers for good truth in the American way you know what I'm trying to say is I mean that's 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 really how it is we have this fleshly self and we got to make a choice do we want to live in that fleshly self or do we want to kill it and we can kill it with the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit amen how do we do that I mean how do we kill it because it's it's easy to say that but I want to give you some like practical ways to live by the spirit and as you live by the spirit then we live by the spirit and as we're all pulling together then we become what the church is meant to be because it is a broad thing but it's really a personal thing so how do we do it one of the passage first John first John chapter 3 and we'll go through verse 11 through 24 but I'm going to break that up three things how do we do that First is love. Love. Verse 11, John writes, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life. Because we love the brothers. Who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know, love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our life for the brothers. But whoever has the world's good and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. I'm going to stop there. This says some really powerful things how to live by the spirit first is love and john here juxtaposes it with love and hate he says don't be like cain who was a murderer who killed his brother the first murder killed that dude abel why because his deeds were righteous envy and jealousy reared up in cain and instead of loving he was hateful and john even goes like you can love or you can hate and some of us know, like, like, hate can live in us. And, man, he goes on and says, he even says here, everyone who hates his brother, verse 15, is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And that is powerful stuff. That is saying you don't have to actually, like, kill someone. If you hate them, you're murdering them in your heart. And then it goes on and say, you don't have eternal life. It can't be much, much clearer. How do you get out? You love. You love with a resource that we can't find in us. You love with a supernatural love that only comes by the Holy Spirit. You love with the love that we see in God who sent his son because he loved us so much. You love with the love that we see in Christ who said, Father, take this away from me. I do not want nails in my hand and to be scourged and whipped and beaten and then die on a cross. And he did it anyway. That type of love. That cleanses and kills hate we love verse 13 John says don't be surprised if the world hates you we need to know if we love with that kind of love there are going to be canes in our life they're going to be jealous of us they're going to be envious of us that meant we can't comprehend it but just don't want to kill the flesh and we still got to love and we can't do that on our own We can only do it through Christ. And this verse, verse 14, John says, We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Let me say that again. We have passed out of death into life. This is a dude who walked with Jesus, and he's saying, Hey, guys, remember, we were in death. We were living in death. And now we've passed out into life. Why? Because we love the brothers. Where do you get life? In an alternative community, in the church, where there's true love. Love by the Spirit. Love that kills hate. I've, uh, I've read this book um, recently. It's by a uh, former Navy SEAL. I think his, his name's Eric Grecians. I don't know how you pronounce it. but anyway, I saw an interview with him about the book a couple weeks ago. And he was talking about, and he, he writes about this in the book. The book's called The Heart and the Fist. It's not a Christian book, but I, I'm just going to throw it out. A great, I love the title, The Heart and the Fist. And his point is that you've got to have conviction of the heart, but you've got to have courage to walk through this life. I love that. And I think that's a, a message for us to believe. We've got to have the conviction of the heart, but we've got to have courage to walk in Christ. So he talks about his spirit experience in Buds. Buds is the uh, training school for SEALs. And um, he said that like over 200 entered his class of Buds and less than 20 made it, he of which was one of them. And so the was like, man, this is, I mean, how do you make it? And he said, you know, it was the most physical, it was the most emotional, draining experience of my entire life. I mean, he said they pushed you past the brink, well past the brink of anything any human being could handle, physically, emotionally. I was like, well, how did you make it? And he said, at a point, he said, at a point, you've got to die to self. He said, because you know, they drop you basically in a pool and your hands are tied and your feet are tied and then you have to swim like 50 yards and if you pass out underwater, then you're, you know, they just pull you up but you can't come up for air. He said, you make it because you hit a point, you hit this wall and he says, if I just do this for me, I'm not going to make it. But they build a team there. They build a community and you start loving these people that you're going through it and you say, they need me and I can make it for them. I can make it for him. And to me, that just spoke so much about the church, what the church is to be, if it's truly the church. You say, man, I can't get through this life of my own, but I got some brothers and sisters in here who need me, who need to see Christ in me. And you start living for them. You start living for the community. You start living for the church. I believe that's what it's meant to be. I don't think dying to self is not just so we can have eternal life. I think it's for us together that you can help pull a load of somebody else. That's how you get past it. So love. A love that's not of this world. And again, where do we see it? John writes, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. I say this in every wedding ceremony, that sometimes you're going to have to choose to love. I mean, as good looking maybe as your wife is, she up, may wake up one morning and, you know, she may not be that pleasant. Or, you know, your husband as, as you know, as good of a dude and as, maybe as kind as he is, as wonderful as he is, he's going to wake up one morning and he ain't going to be that special. Or maybe the night before, y'all both don't seem that special to each other. And I say, you got to choose to love some days. And where do you see that love? It's totally unselfish. Totally unnatural in our human DNA. We see it in Christ. We know love by this because he gave his life for us. And then John finally continues and he says, whoever sees his brother in need and doesn't help him, well, that's not love. And he says, so let us not just love in word, but love in action and in deed. I love, and we got 45 people from our church going to Honduras to serve, I mean, the poorest of the poor. In our world, that's love. We know, some of us have known and seen how needy they are. And we've come back and communicated that, and the Holy Spirit has worked and inspired others, and they're going. And I only want that spirit to grow, whether it's Honduras or Africa or Jackson or, hey, next door that you know a family's hurting and they're in need, and we go to them. Let us not love in word, but in deed and in truth. Another book that I'm reading, you've heard me talk about this. is about this pastor, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's a pastor in Germany during World War II. Stood up to the Nazis. He was killed for it. He's a martyr. Here's my point. He had this saying that grace is really, when you get down to it, costly. It's not cheap grace. See, cheap grace is talking about, hey, I love you, lovey you w dub but it doesn't cost you anything. Like, you're not acting to do anything. Real grace is costly grace. I mean, it costs us something to love. It costs us something. If somebody's hurting, it costs you time and maybe emotional energy to give love to a person who needs it. It costs you something, you who are going to Honduras, you're taking a week out of work. You could be going to the beach, but you're saying, no, I'm going to go on a mission trip. It costs you something, and that is real grace. Cheap grace is just talk. Real grace is costly, you know why? Because it costs God something. Cost him his son. Lynn and I talk about this, and we'll be honest, we can't do this. Say, could we give up our son for people we didn't even like? We couldn't. I mean that is that is grace. That is what our God is. He sent Jesus. To be an alternative community, it takes that kind of love. And we don't find it ourselves. It's only through Jesus looking at what he did. Secondly, confidence. I'm going to read this passage, verse 19 through 22. John writes, We will know by this that we are of the truth, and we will assure our heart before him. And whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. But if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. How do we kill the self and live by the spirit? There's love. There's confidence. And I'm not talking about cockiness here. I'm talking about like serene confidence. You know in your heart that God's working in your life. People may scourge you verbally, but you know in your heart that you are loving God and you are growing. You may be reeling from a failure in in work or in life or in relationships or in marriage, but God sees your heart and you have serene confidence that he's going to bring you home. Because here's the deal. None of us can see each other's heart. We can talk, we can even act. But God sees the heart. And there will come a day that all of us will stand before him when everything that we have here is stripped away and it's only us, our character, our heart, before God. So there, we can have a serene confidence that, you know, our heart, it can be healed in Christ, can be purified in Christ, and that we can walk in new life. I've told this story before, I've told it again. There's a gentleman, I love him. He's passed. He's gone. I know he's going to be with the Lord. But he was past 90. He knew his time was coming and he kept asking me, "How do I really know? How do I really know I'll be there?" I don't want any of you to go through that. And I think it's easy with the way this life is and the way culture infiltrates us and we can, you know, come to church everything, anyway, but when we get down to it and when we can see death, how do we really know That will be in heaven. Scripture tells us so. All you have to do is take a step and begin walking with Jesus. In our imperfect, broken ways, he will bring healing to your life. And I want you to have that confidence. I want you to have serene confidence that nobody walks out of here questioning. But you know you have a relationship with Christ. And that will bring you home for now and for eternity. A love, not of this world. A confidence and last belief. Last couple verses, 23 and 24. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. We have to believe. Actually, to have this love, we have to believe first. Scripture says, we believe and then we love. We believe the commandment that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. And you know, I think another reason churches really aren't the church is that honestly, a lot of people really don't believe that. They believe something else may save them in this life and they really don't know what's going on for eternal life. What we want, how to be the church, how to be an alternative community, to say the only thing that will save me for this life, this life now, and eternal life forever, is Jesus Christ. And when we look to him, we can have confidence. And when we look to him, his love will begin penetrating us and changing us that we can love others. How to be an alternative community? It starts in each of us. It's not a program. It's not a better family ministry. It's not better worship. It starts in each of us. When we realize the battle is in our souls, and when we choose, we're going to walk by the Spirit of God. And in Jesus, we can love, we can have confidence, we have belief. Closing, I want to ask you a couple questions. First question is, why are you here? I mean, like, why are you here today? Maybe it's a just a broad understanding that, hey, I need church. Maybe you enacted a little bit of discipline in your family and said, hey, man, The open's on, but I'm going to make it a church. See how much I love you, sweetie. God bless you. God led you here regardless. Maybe you just think, you know, church is something that that I need in my life, generally, broadly. Maybe you're here today, personally, that you are just broken. That you are looking for something. That you need healing in your life. That you need healing in relationships. That can happen. That can happen now. That can happen today. Marriages can be renewed. Lives can be changed. Guys, I want us to be an alternative community. So why are you here? And then who do you want to be? That's where we're going to go. I want to see lives changed. I want to see lives healed. I want to see the dead raised. And the dead can be raised in Christ our Lord. Do we really want to be the church? Are we just like doing church? Are we just trying to be, you know... The new church, I don't think that, and I don't think many of you think that, because I know I know why you're here. You want a new life. you can have it in Christ. I want to go back to that the first point I, I talked to you about, and I'm going to close with that, it is not a mighty fortress is us. It is a mighty fortress is our God. It is a mighty fortress in Christ. And to be the church as he wants us to be the church. It starts with him and it starts with you. So today, why are you here? I believe all of you are here because you need salvation. You may have had the salvation moment, but you may need saving again from something that you're going through right now. And you can have it. Who are we going to be? We're going to be the church as it was meant to be. We're going to start each and every Sunday. But that is where we're going. A mighty fortress is our Christ. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I pray that we can be your church. Each of us is in a war between the flesh and the spirit. Let us choose wisely. Let us choose with discipline. And only by your power can we take steps to change. Dear Lord, I pray for those who for whatever reason, have a hard heart here today. Maybe their hardness is towards the church. Maybe their hardness is towards the relationship. Maybe their hardness is to someone who's hurt them. Heal it, we pray. Now, let your spirit flood over their heart, over their lives. Dear, I pray that as we are the church, we would be your people. We would possess a love that we can't get on our own. That people would have confidence in their security in Christ and that our belief in salvation would be only in you. Through our pray people would have it. Pray that we would be a different community, an alternate community. And that is your church. In Jesus' name, amen. As our worship team closes us, as always, the altars are open. I open them not just for salvation in the sense of do you want to know Jesus? But I, I open them, and I do this each Sunday for healing. If you need to be healed, come to the throne of grace. Come to the Lord's altar. Come and meet Jesus, and he will give you the healing that you need. Would you please stand?